Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the B2B Content Show, a podcast about the how, what, and why of B2B content marketing. The show is brought to you by Conversa, a podcasting agency that helps B2B brands start podcasts to connect with prospects, generate content, and grow brand awareness. You can learn more at conversa.com. That's Conversa with two N's. I'm Jeremy Shear, and my guest today is Jim Hopkins, a revenue architect at Winning by Design, a firm that helps SaaS companies optimize recurring revenue. Jim, it's great to have you on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited. What is a revenue architect? Yeah, it's a great question. My dad was an architect, so I feel like I'm carrying on the, uh, the family business. But ultimately, what we do is we help companies try to build better scaffolding, better processes, better frameworks regarding their revenue functions. I focus a little bit more heavily on marketing, but we have architects that span across marketing, sales, and the customer success. We just try to bring the design, as, as our company says, winning by design. We try to bring the design to those functions so that they can do things that help them win on purpose or by design and make it repeatable and scalable. Our topic today is one that I think has been on the minds of a lot of marketers, especially B2B marketers, and that's whether or not to gate your content. You know, from what I can tell, mostly by hanging out on LinkedIn and places like that, the conversation seems to be moving in the direction of let's ungate the content. What once maybe worked is no longer working for a variety of reasons, putting up those gates, asking for emails. And now you just got to essentially give your content away without hoping to capture emails or, or maybe anything else. So where do you stand on this debate? I'm with the ungaters. Ungate the content, free the content, make it accessible by everybody. I mean, that's, that's the reason you produce it, right? So people will read it. So why, you know, why would you put a gate in front of that content? I have a lot of thoughts. I guess I could just, I could go on a soapbox really quick. Like <laughs> me too, but... Uh... What's the strongest argument for gating content, even if you don't agree with it? Like, but still today, if you're going to take that side, why might you still want to gate content? Or like, is there any good argument that still supports that? So I think some argue that if they're able to get someone's details, they'll be able to nurture them or they'll be able to expose them to content maybe that they didn't know they wanted, I guess. I think in their minds, convert a non-buyer to a buyer, potentially, like someone who wasn't in the market to become somebody in the market. My contention to that is how often does that happen? <laughs> and um, how often are those good customers? How often will they end up renewing? And this gets into kind of the mechanics of a recurring revenue business, a SaaS business, which is what we specialize in. But I think it's it's applicable across the board these days if you want to get a return on your initial investment in acquiring the customer, they usually have to renew once or twice, maybe paying you an annual revenue stream to be able to, to get your money back eventually. So I think you want good customers that will renew. I'm not sure like converting people that didn't initially want to buy it to buyers is always always the great thing. I don't, I don't have any data or research behind that, but I think ultimately most of the arguments behind getting content have to do with goals that we have as marketers. And, you know, we can list those out, right? Like trying to show your boss that your work is good. <laughs> like the campaigns are working and that leads are coming in. 
And why do you want leads coming in? Oh, well, because we want to keep the SDRs busy. And then why do we want to keep the SDRs busy? Oh, to keep the salespeople busy. So it's like this chain and, and it's dependency that's internal. Like we want to do that for our own selfish benefit. I think the biggest argument for ungating or against gating is that those things just don't fit with the buying journey and buying behavior. They don't care about making you look good butts. Like they don't care about keeping your SDRs busy. In fact, they would prefer that your SDRs were not busy and not bothering them. So yeah, I think it's just a disconnect between what we want as marketers and what buyers want ultimately. So in other words, gating might give you some numbers internally that you can be like, hey, we're doing our job. We're doing the thing you said to do, and we're, we're passing that stuff on to the next group, and they can say, we're doing what we're supposed to do with those numbers. And your point, as I'm hearing it, is that that may be all well and good, but ultimately, it doesn't actually work to increase your revenue because it's not matching up with how people actually buy. Yeah, it becomes a focus on quantity over quality. And it's, it's not to say that you can't do large numbers and you can't do quantity and quality, but I think... When we focus maybe a little too heavily on volume and quantity, often we get into this at all costs mindset and at all costs eventually becomes unsustainable. You don't have as much budget anymore. It becomes prohibitively expensive. The law of diminishing returns kicks in and, and you just aren't getting as many good leads from the amount that you're spending on campaigns, et cetera, et cetera. So that volume game just runs out eventually. And ultimately, I think what we've seen, what I've seen in my history, what most marketers probably have seen, because it misaligns with buyers' preferences, they do things to kind of subvert your process, your goals, right? So they don't like filling out a form. It's annoying. They're concerned about privacy, maybe. They don't want to be sold to. They don't want to be bothered. So I, I mentioned this when we talked earlier, but I mean, you get Dwayne Johnson at therock.com or Mickey Mouse at disney.com. You get, you know, this long list of leads that aren't reachable, that waste your time, that eat up your database, that aren't, aren't, don't end up being useful anyway. So that volume ends up being kind of lower quality anyway. And with those emails, you're referring to dummy emails, of course, that people use instead of giving their actual email and which obviously is not useful at all to anybody at the company. It's you might as well have just not gated it at all in the first place. So the alternative to to gating content then is to ungate it, right? Open up the gates and essentially here's our blog, here's our content, check it out. No friction there, no barrier to have to overcome to get to it. The issue that that raises, right, is then well how do we know who's looking at this content and how well it's performing. And even if you do have some metrics around that, like this blog post got so many views, you know, or whatever, this video got so many views, this podcast got so many downloads. How do you draw a link from a given piece of content to a sale, to the growth of revenue, right? I mean, that seems to be a pretty difficult and outstanding just issue in the world of content marketing these days, one that gating content was, I think, supposed to help solve was kind of the idea. We're saying here, well, it actually, it, it just doesn't, it doesn't really work. Is the alternative to kind of ungate it and say, well, we don't really know exactly how a given piece of content, you know, contributes. And is the conclusion then like, and that's okay, like we shouldn't be super worried about that or not? Is there a different way of thinking about that? Yeah, I think that's one potential approach just to kind of leave it to the fates, I guess. 
which I think could could be okay. I think sometimes you can put it out there and you will see it come back to you in, in other ways that you may not be able to connect clearly, but there's obviously a, a rising tide somewhere. But I do think we do have tools and mechanisms that can help us measure. I think the real hinge question there is, do we need to know who? And at what point do we need to know who in order to get credit or attribute performance, I guess? I would contend that you don't necessarily need to know who from the very beginning. And I think even though you you mentioned like getting emails or getting content was designed to help us know who very early on, I would contend like in most situations I've been in, others that I've talked to, there's still a hitch in that chain. Like you don't know who really connected to revenue and pipeline. There's lots of things that go wrong. It's a very complex cycle and chain that's really hard to unravel. There's some technology out there that helps with it, that gets you close, but there's always caveats. There's always kind of trouble in that attribution process. I've never seen it like really clean. And again, you know, the the large amount of craft or, or bad leads that are in there makes that really difficult. So I think, you know, at each kind of milestone of the process, there's there's good metrics that you can use to judge performance of the content. The way that I've looked at it sort of is in, in four pieces in the in the past. There's campaign performance. We can absolutely measure how well a content-driven campaign performs in terms of engagement or in terms of clicks. We can know if a content piece is performing well based on how we're how well it's being distributed and how people react to that distribution. Like we can know that. We can make decisions on channels, we can make decisions on promotional copy or, you know, we can test those things and adjust and optimize those things, I think, really well. And there are tools and best practices for that all over the place. So we can have those metrics. The next stage I think about is website traffic and conversions. Sometimes we can connect those things. I'm not convinced that it's necessary, really. I don't, I, I don't know. And I don't get too into the weeds on that anyway. But website version, traffic and conversions means, okay, how many people am I getting to my website via that content? Or how many people are ultimately coming to where that content lives on my site, presumably? And then how are people converting? And I think the shift here is instead of a gated form conversion, we're thinking maybe a little bit further along. So how are people asking for a sales meeting or, or asking for a demo through the process of engaging with that content? It's going to be a lower percentage because when you gate things, you're getting everything. You're getting everybody who hits that, that website. In this case, it'll be a portion, you know, a 5% kind of conversion rate or something lower where people will hit the demo button. I think that's the key in the shift. You have to make a lot of opportunities available for people to raise their hand, to signal that they're ready to talk. And then the next piece I think about that I think is really hard, I, I haven't really cracked this nut, but quality and customer feedback. So was the content good? How do they react to it? Did it meet their expectations when they like saw the promotion of it? How valuable was it to them ultimately? Did it make them more or less likely to engage further or have a sales conversation even? And I think, you know, like likely surveys are the way that you can find some of that out. There's again, tools that can help you with this, like the, the four C's and the different kinds of tools that can pop up in the flow of engaging with content or, you know, after the fact, whatever it might be. But 
I think it'd be really great to get that component into your measurement. And that can give you just a broad sense if you're a content marketer, which pieces of content are working, which aren't, you can kind of point you in the right direction. Again, we don't necessarily need to know who, we just need to know if it's working and why or where is it working. And then ultimately, I think where we connect it to the who is in a business impact. If they have raised their hand, they've signaled that they're interested in having a conversation, do those leads become opportunities and customers? And I think, you know, it's pretty simple at that point, once they've raised their hand to track them through that process, you know, whether you use last touch attribution or, or what have you, or a weighted attribution or peanut butter spread attribution, what piece of content kind of was the trigger to get them to sign up for a demo or, or a sales conversation? And did that help, you know, did that ultimately result in a, in a set? Is there a case to be made potentially for sort of semi-ungating at least some content so that you're no longer asking for emails, but rather you're looking to gather some data in, in a more anonymous way? Maybe it's around, you know, what just like what business people are in or like what their title is or, you know, why they're downloading the content or, you know, something like that. You're still getting something. But you're not, it's not maybe as salesy, like, hey, give us your email so we can bombard you with, you know, <laughs> all kinds of outreach that you don't want. Is there a case to be made for that? Or it, is it, does it still fall into the same basic problem? Yeah, no, I think, I think that's interesting. I think it'd be interesting to test. My concern would be making it a requirement or making it a blocker to continuing to consume content, consuming it in the first place. Ultimately, that would have the same effect, right? You'd be kind of decreasing the number of people that would that initially wanted to see your content, but that aren't willing to answer that question. It might be a lower percentage than the people that are willing to, or I mean, a higher percentage than the people that are willing to fill out a form. But it's still kind of lopping off a, a piece of, of your audience that you could have had the opportunity to message to or to to share with. I'd rather err on the side of like consume the content. You're interested, please consume the content. I think it'd be interesting, kind of the vision that I had is if you popped up a message, hey, you know, what what industry are you in? Almost like a survey a little bit, but you could dismiss it if you wanted to, if you want to go back to reading content. But again, that would be more of like an aggregate kind of informational thing. Who were we attracting? I think that information would be valuable, of course, but it wouldn't give you the, the connection to who individually is consuming this content. And again, I'm not convinced you need to know who at that point. I think you have to ask yourself, what is your goal at that particular stage of the buyer's journey? Is it to collect names? Is it to collect details? And then why do you want that information? What will that do for you in, in, in the buyer's journey? And then what will it offer to the buyer, to the lead in return? I think in all this, you have to think about what, what, I, what we call a value exchange. If I'm giving you something of value, you would expect that in return. Um, and I think like in life, I think we need to be givers before receivers. When you gate content, you're asking for something before you even give them anything. Right. Which typically doesn't work out very well as, as you've been describing. I mean, one way that I think about it is that the balance of power between buyers and sellers has, has shifted pretty radically, right? This is well known over the last couple of decades and maybe especially over the last decade or so, right? As 
buyers famously spend 90% of the time before they ever talk to you, right? Or anyone at your company, just looking, asking around, doing research, you know, for reasons that we all understand. It's just so much more available. And so the the buyer really holds so, so much of the power in, in terms of the balance of the relationship. And that gating was kind of an attempt to grab back some of that power to say, you want the content, you got to tell us who you are. And, you know, it's just hasn't worked for all the reasons that we're discussing. And so maybe the takeaway is there's just no going back, you know, given the nature of how people find out stuff. Yeah. And I think that the key piece of that is that it's focused on email and the email inbox and assuming that that's the best place to reach buyers in a furthering a relationship context. And I think that's not true either. They don't want you in their inbox. Your time and effort will be better spent reaching them on LinkedIn or on the internet somewhere or, you know, in other social media platforms or at events or, or things of that nature. So yeah, I think it's all really heavily invested in that email inbox that we know people are paying less attention to anyway. That's a good point. There's something about getting an email from someone like you don't know, because your first thought often is, how'd you get my email? You know, like it's still the email is still compared to social media, obviously, is still kind of seen as like, well, this is like a private thing in a way or more private than social media. Like, I'll give you my email if I want to. But it's not just, you know, out there for the whole world to see, especially a, like in business emails, right? Like on LinkedIn, you typically don't just find everyone's email right away. And there's a reason for that. Whereas, on, but if you have a LinkedIn profile, you are inviting people to connect with you through the platform and all that. So it's kind of like an invasion of your private business space or something like that. And yeah, there's just no, that's not going to change. And there's just no going back to a time if there ever was a time when it was sort of people were like, oh, cool, more emails that I need to wade through or emails from strangers trying to sell me stuff. That's, that's never been a thing that people want. Yeah. And I, you know, I have a hard enough time getting people to respond to my emails who like I officially work with and some, you know, clients who are paying me money to do work for them. I have part time getting them to respond to emails. So who's going to respond to an, an email I didn't even ask for? Right. Um, unless, I mean, of course, email marketing can be very powerful if you can build a list of people who actually want your emails, right? Then it's like, great, a very direct way to contact someone, but you kind of have to earn the right to send people stuff. If it's, if it's spam, obviously, then that's universally bad. Yeah. I think that's what like a newsletter signup is for, right? If you, if you want to try to get people and there's a way to use content to, to sort of encourage people to do that too. Like maybe that's your call to action. Hey, sign up for a newsletter. Want more content like this? Sign up for a newsletter. I think that's another great way to kind of encourage them to raise their hand in a way. Your advice for marketing teams then that are having this debate internally, do we gate? Do we ungate? I mean, I think clearly your advice is going to be ungate the content people, but I don't want to put words in your mouth. I mean, what in fact would be your advice to marketing teams that are, you know, having this kind of discussion? Yeah, I would say go for it. My advice is always test and measure. Of course, watch it closely and make adjustments based on how things are going. I think the biggest requirement for making this shift, especially if maybe you're a bigger company or more mature company, that has a long-standing, like highly leveraged, highly dependent 
lead generation engine, if that's like, you know, like the core of your business, it's going to be tough and it's going to require leadership buy-in at the highest levels you can get or the highest levels you need it. And that probably requires some deep conversations longer than, than even this one. Um, but it probably requires data and examples and that it, it probably requires a change management plan. Like it, this will be a shift. You have to be willing to invest in content and distribution of that content. And you have to be willing to give that some lead time to build up kind of the, the pressure or the, you know, the, the awareness and the demand when you're not getting direct leads from campaigns, it kind of emphasizes the idea that the natural buyer's journey is not direct in, in B2B and in SaaS. It takes a couple months to warm a buyer up to the idea of raising their hand and going through the 90% of the, the buying process. So the change management is how do you shift the SDR's mindset or even their day-to-day? Is it like, do you, do you emphasize quality over quantity with them? Do you kind of adjust activity goals or even like the metrics and incentives that you, you give to them? How does sales pipeline get impacted? What do they do to compensate for at least like a little gap for other few months with, you know, fewer leads or fewer opportunities? So I think it really requires that buy-in. It requires a commitment, some change management, and then it, it will take some time. But I think if you do it right and you build up kind of that momentum and that wave of demand, like I mentioned, it'll be much stronger, much, much more profitable than the more kind of coin operated system of lead generation. You know, you'll have built up these customers that actually want to be customers with you and they, they'll probably be longstanding customers and continue paying you and continue expanding and, and then even starting to tell other people and. You know, I think it's a self-feeding system. Okay. Well, Jim, a lot of great stuff there. Uh, thank you so much for all that and for a really great discussion. It's a pretty important topic, and uh, I think we got some great insights here. So thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Yeah. No, thanks for having me. And, you know, honestly, I love to talk about it. So looking forward to talking again soon. That's it for this episode of the B2B Content Show. You can subscribe anywhere you get podcasts on any podcast app. And while you're at it, you might as well give the show five stars and leave an over-the-top comment about how much you love the podcast. If you'd like to be a guest on the show or you know someone who you think would be a great guest, let us know. You can contact me at jeremy at conversa.com. That's C-O-N-N-versa.com. The B2B Content Show is brought to you by Conversa Podcasting. Check us out at conversa.com to learn more about how we help B2B brands start podcasts to connect through conversation with the buyers and decision makers you need to get to know to grow your business. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.